Good morning, Journey. Good to see you all. My name's Chris. Glad to be together this morning. Today, you find us in the midst of a series that we're calling a movement of misfits. And what we're doing in this series is we're tracking through the book of Acts. And what you find when you track through the book of Acts is that the Holy Spirit is at the center of this entire movement. You see that the Holy Spirit has launched it out when the followers of Jesus gathered together in a room and then the Holy Spirit came on them at Pentecost and filled them with power to go and testify, to be witnesses to what it is that Jesus wants to do in the world. You can't read through the book of Acts without noticing that the Holy Spirit is intricately involved in the lives of this community of people. And so with that in mind, I wanna just pose a question to us. I wanna give you a little bit of space to think on it and reflect on it before we dive into our robust text in Acts 10 today. And the question is this, are you open to the movement of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you open to a movement of the Holy Spirit in our church? Are you open to a movement of the Holy Spirit in our community and beyond? Are you open to that? And as you sit with that and as you think on that, I'm gonna pray for us, a, a prayer assuming that on some level we're saying, yes, we're open to that. We might not know what that even means or what that even looks like yet, which I guess is some of why we have to acknowledge that we're at least open to it. And so I'll pray that prayer for us, and then we'll dive in to our text this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm open to the Holy Spirit. Come to me, dwell in me, speak to me, so I may become more like Jesus. Lord, give me the courage to be open to your spirit. Lord, I am open to the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We acknowledge now, God, that you are among us. You are with us. You are here already. And so we invite you by way of your spirit to teach us, to shape us, to mold us. Give us eyes to see as you see. Give us ears to hear from you. Give us minds to perceive what it is you want to teach us and give us hearts to receive what it is you want to do in our lives. God, I pray that if there's anything that might make us be closed off to what you want to do, that we would just humbly and boldly set that before you now. Say, God, take this. I'm here. I'm open to what you want to do in my life and the life of our community and beyond. God, I pray for myself this morning that you'd give me your words to speak, that you would move in me through the power of your Holy Spirit to say things that are only for you and from you. Because God, everything that we do here today, we want it to point to you, to make much of you, to give you glory, to make you known, so that we might love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that as we love you, we wouldn't help but love others with the same intense love. Holy Spirit, come. We need you today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're gonna jump into a, a pretty wild text 
in the 10th chapter of the book of Acts. There's a lot going on and we're just gonna make our way through the story. So here's how it kicks off, Acts 10, verse one. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? Super polite response. He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout, a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. Okay, hold on, what's going on here? Because it's, it's already getting a little strange. We have a guy named Cornelius. Cornelius is a Roman army officer who lives in Caesarea, which is a place where the Roman army is prominent. With a lot of influence there. They're doing a lot there, that sort of thing. We have this guy, he's praying. He's devout. He's God-fearing. He gives generously to the poor. And as we find out later in the story, he's also respected by all the Jews. Luke, who writes the story of the book of Acts, is, is one who tends to like slowly de develop his story and details make themselves aware as you go along. So you'll find he wants to keep your attention in all of that. But he does tell us later that this man, Cornelius, is respected by all the Jews. His whole household, in fact, is God-fearing. And so here he is praying at three o'clock in the afternoon, which is a regular time for Jewish prayer. Every day, three o'clock in the afternoon, Jewish people would pray. Now that's interesting because Cornelius is not Jewish. He's practicing Judaism, perhaps a convert to Judaism, but he is a Gentile. That is, he is not Jewish by ethnicity. He is other, he is a Gentile. And so it's unique that this is what he's doing with his life and God is affirming what's going on in his life through this messenger, this angel. But what happens when you pray regularly at three and other times I'm assuming he was praying as well is that every now and then you get an unexpected counter from an angel of the Lord, <laughs> right? Like he didn't see this coming. He didn't go, ah, today's the day. I bet that angel shows up. No, He's living his life faithfully and regularly. And in this moment, an angel of the Lord shows up during that time, surprises him. And so something that's interesting about Cornelius is that Luke, who's telling the story so that Jewish Christians would understand what's going on as well, he describes Cornelius in a way that the things he does and the way he lives are accessible to those Jewish Christians. It wouldn't be like far off for them to be like, oh, I can, I can see why God might wanna show up and talk to this guy. Prays regularly, gives generously to the poor. His whole household is God-fearing. Like those are good things. And so at the end of this affirming vision from the angel of the Lord, what does Cornelius do? Boom, snaps into action. Immediately, he obeys. No time to think about that. He gets three people, three men, two servants and a soldier. And he says, hey, you gotta get to Joppa and find this guy, Simon Peter. So he tells him what's going on. 
Here's how the story continues. Acts 10, verse nine. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if, unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Huh? Right, like it, this, it, it gets strange, right? So we've got Peter here. Peter's praying in the town of Joppa on a roof. It's a roof you could climb up on via stairs, right? So it's a, it's a place that he would go and be alone. And he's in Joppa because just previously before this, as he was out sharing the message of Jesus, performing the ministry of healing, doing all of the things that God has him doing, he showed up in Joppa and some people are like, hey, you need to come and pray for Tabitha to be raised from the dead. It's like, oh, okay. He goes over to Tabitha's house and Tabitha is prepared already for burial. And there's people there mourning and crying. He says, get out of the room. I'm gonna take care of this. So he prays that God would raise her from the dead and he brings breath back into her lungs and she rises up from the dead. And so he decides after a miracle like that, good idea to stick around in Joppa for a bit, see what else God might be up to. Or like, so you're like, oh, okay, I can see why you'd stay in Joppa. So he stays with this guy, Simon. He's hanging out there and he takes a time at noon to go and pray. Noon is significant, not because it's a significant time of Jewish prayer, but because it tells us that Peter is one who likes to pray. He learned this habit from Jesus to get away, to be with God regularly. And he chose noon to get away as a meal was being prepared. And so as he's praying, as he often does, I'm sure, some crazy things go down. He falls into a trance. Now, a trance like, um, like an out-of-body experience or something. I mean, how, I don't know how to describe this to you, right? Like, that's the funny thing about it. I don't know. He was praying. God showed up in a very profound way, and he was hungry. That's what we know, okay? So it, it, was, it was an intense encounter with God, unexpected once again that God would show up this way in Peter's life. And he shows up with this vision. And what do we see? How many times... Does the vision happen? Three times. How many times did Cornelius have to have his vision? One time, because he's not Peter. Peter's like, everything needs to happen three times. He's super not sure at first, a little bit more, and then the third time, he's like, okay, I'm in. Right? Even now, after all that Peter's seen and experienced, he's still like, I'm not so sure, God. God's like, okay, look again, sheet, all the animals, right? Like, he has to keep doing it. And so we know that in this vision that Peter has, something like a sheet comes down from heaven. Not like a sheet comes down from heaven, something like a sheet. Because again, how do you explain these things? You just try your best. You give language to it. And so Luke's like, here's what Peter told me, that it was like a sheet. And on this sheet that was in front of him, 
were animals and reptiles and birds. That is, a, a wide array of animals that were clean and unclean by Jewish laws, thus making all of what's on that sheet unclean. That's why he can't have anything to do with it. Because not only is he a follower of Jesus, but he's a very, very committed practicing Jew. So he can't go to that. So when God's like, kill and eat, he's like, uh-uh. Nice try, you're not gonna trick me. Right, and so it happens three times and then he's like, Peter, here's the deal. Anything that I've made clean, you can't start calling it unclean anymore. And Peter's like, I don't know what the heck you're talking about, God. Because literally what happens is he's puzzled. He does not know what the vision means. So if you've read into Acts 10 and you know what happens next, then you're like, oh, maybe I can see how all of that happened. But if you haven't, you, like Peter, are puzzled right now because that's a weird vision, okay? So here's the weird vision that Peter has. Here's what it says, verse 17. Peter was very perplexed, as are we, because something like a sheet came down with animals on it. Luke asks, what could this vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, still puzzling over the vision, watch what happens here. The Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry for I have sent them. The Holy Spirit does not say to him, here's what your vision means. The Holy Spirit says to him, go and meet these men and go with them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? And they said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout God-fearing man, well respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. The next day he went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. Well, okay. So Peter is puzzling over this vision, right? And some men show up and they're like, Hey, is Peter here? A holy angel appeared to our boss and says, come over to our house. Like, I mean, if you're Peter, you gotta be like, really? Did he say that? But fortunately, the Holy Spirit already said to him, no, no, it's gonna be okay. Go with these guys. He still doesn't know what this vision is all about. Cornelius himself doesn't even know what this whole deal's about. He just know he was supposed to send for Peter. So three men show up. The Holy Spirit speaks directly to Peter that it's okay to go with them. And then Peter collects six brothers. We find out in Acts 11 that there were six of them, six brothers. And in this case, brothers does in fact mean men. She gathered six other men to go with them to Caesarea from Joppa. So we have seven, six plus one, seven people from Peter's tribe going to meet Cornelius who had sent three guys. So a team of 10 heads back to Caesarea. And so here's the thing, like it, it's, it's, it's of enormous importance to Luke that we would understand the impetus to move in the direction of these Gentiles comes directly from God. Like this is a God-ordained movement, right? That God would break in and give Cornelius a vision, that God would break in and give Peter a vision and that the Holy Spirit would say to Peter, this is where you need to go. Only God could come up with this idea is essentially what Luke wants us to know. And as that's playing out in our minds and the story is unfolding, 
just pay attention to the role of the Holy Spirit in all of this. We have the Holy Spirit giving Cornelius, who doesn't even yet know about Jesus, dreams. We have the Holy Spirit giving Peter, who's in a time of intense prayer, a vision. And then we have the Holy Spirit speaking directly to Peter, like this is the thing that you're supposed to do. And none of them know what's gonna happen next. They just know that God's in it. There's more to come from the Holy Spirit and all of this as well. So here they go. They're gonna go from Joppa to Caesarea. It's a, it's a 30 mile trip, okay? So a couple days it'll take them to get from Joppa to Caesarea. So here's what happens. Verse 24, they arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had collected together his relatives and close friends. Turns out it's not just Cornelius. That number will grow here in a minute. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, stand up. I am a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. I, I know that you guys don't think this is nearly as funny as I think it is, but this is all just hilarious, okay? Like the way these things are happening, this is a, this story that is going to be, have just incredible implications for why we're even here today in a moment is a banana story. Like why would God do this is what we're gonna ask in a moment. So feel free to go ha, ha, ha every now and then, okay? <laughs> so Peter talked to them. They went inside where many others were assembled and went, they walked inside, Peter told them this. He goes, you know, it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you, which is a rude thing to say when you go over to someone's house. <laughs> However, two words that we encounter throughout scriptures come into play and he says, but God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. You see, the vision is starting to make sense for Peter now. He says, so I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. He still doesn't know why he's there. That's crazy again. Just do the, <laughs> good, you guys are getting it, that's good. So Cornelius replies this. He says, four days ago, I was praying in my house about this same time, three o'clock in the afternoon, and suddenly a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. Some scholars believe that that picture of that man is who Cornelius thought Peter was when he showed up and that's why he fell at his feet to worship him. And they're like, no, 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 that's not, you saw an angel of the Lord, not Peter. So anyway, he says that, that's just, that's free. You're welcome. He, you guys are getting this good. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon a Tanner who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once and it was good for you to come. Now we are all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. And again, that's awesome because Peter doesn't know why he's there. He's <laughs> like, no, Cornelius just assures him, no, trust me, the Lord's got a message and we're here waiting now for you to share it with us. Right? And what's nuts about that is that Cornelius has invited friends and relatives. It expands to many others were there. So what Peter thought these three guys were summoning him to go and meet with Cornelius turns out to be an entire group of people, like a, a house full of people, you know? I don't know the number, and I didn't do enough research to find out, but I'm guessing like 20 to 30, 
okay? Like there's a group of people, he's surprised by what he finds. But Peter does something really unique when he says to Cornelius, stand up. I'm a human being just like you. What he's doing is he's acknowledging their shared humanity, which is a big deal because Jewish men do not go into the homes of Gentiles nor associate with them. They were seen as other. And in that moment, when he literally pulls him up, he touches him, he brings him to his feet and he says, we are the same. We are the same. And it's at this point, right, that that vision that Peter had on the rooftop is beginning to make sense. He's seeing the unity that God is moving them toward. He doesn't know how it's gonna play out or what it's gonna look like, but he's saying we're the same. And then he does that other thing where he acknowledges before them that he is crossing a literal barrier that would have been unheard of for somebody to cross. He says, you gotta understand to this household of people, one who's a Roman army officer, right? Like not just like some casual guy, but a guy who holds power and influence, has access to more power and influence. He walks into their home and he's like, hey, you know what? We don't do this. People like me don't show up in places like this. Which you can just, all of the present day implications of this should be going off in your head right now. And he acknowledges that he is crossing a physical barrier because none of them involved in this are able to deny that God has somehow initiated this movement. They don't know what's going on, but they know God is in it. And he crosses that. And the vision's becoming clear that God wants to do a new thing. And Peter wants to figure out what that is and how he's gonna be a part of it. And now they're all here, gathering before God, waiting for Peter to give a message to them. So here's what Peter does. Verse 34, then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. You see what happened? Now Peter has eyes to see what God is doing. He did not have eyes to see what God was doing before he had to just keep being obedient to where God was calling him to go. And then God revealed it to him. He opens his mouth and the first thing he says is, I see very clearly that we're on level playing field here. God shows no favoritism in every nation, which is a broad, broad claim. He accepts those who fear him and do what is right. In this very moment, you can see Peter acknowledging that the kingdom of God is bigger than he even thought it was going to be. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. He goes all the way back to John the Baptist. He says, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach everywhere. And now that clicks for him as he's preaching. 
and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. And that sure feels like the end of a sermon, but it's not. That's all we have recorded. So I wanna pause there for a second because things are about to get even crazier. Right, this right here, this little sermon that Peter preached that he didn't even know he was gonna preach is the most comprehensive review of the career of Jesus that we have in any of the sermons in the book of Acts. We've got John the Baptist, we've got the risen Jesus eating and drinking with his disciples. Like we've got everything in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus encompassed there. And it's the first time that the good news is being preached to a distinctly Gentile audience of people. It is a huge deal that the gospel has now made it into this home of Cornelius and his friends and relatives. It's groundbreaking even because for many of us, it's why we're even sitting here today. And what's happening is that we're realizing that God's so in love with the Gentiles as well that he's drawn Peter there. It turns out this love story that God's been writing from creation is about them too. And it's almost like Peter himself had no idea, even though he'd been told a bunch of times. It's this story that's for those whom few thought God would love or could love. And he's drawing them all together. Just so happens that that's also a love story about us, right? That that's what God's doing in our lives as well. And maybe you feel more like Peter and the Jewish Christians, or maybe you feel more like Cornelius and his friends and relatives. Maybe you feel like you already know Jesus, or maybe you feel like you have no idea. But it sure seems to me when I read something like this, that perhaps you are the one that God has drawn in from the very beginning of the story so that others can be included at the end. Maybe you know Jesus the way you know Jesus now so that others might be included in the family of God. Maybe that's what it is. And what's so crazy about this is it's so mysterious. Why is God doing it like this? Because this is so mysterious, it reminds us of the fact that God is something that we can't even comprehend. Like God's ways are not our ways. I just love that this is the way in which God initiates the multi-ethnic family of God. What he gives a vision to Cornelius and Caesarea while he's praying and Peter in a trance on a roof and then he brings them together and Peter preaches a message he didn't know to preach and that's how Christianity involved both Jewish and Gentile Christians, which my guess is many of us in this room are Gentile Christians. Like that's how he did this. That's not how I would have written it. God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And that's the mystery of what God's doing in the world. It's so beyond that. And it seems that, that some of us might need this thing to happen in our lives. And it's not gonna happen until we come to terms with the fact that God's ways are beyond us. Because if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll talk as if we always know how to keep up with what God is doing. We'll talk in ways in which we're like, certainly this is how God's going to move. This is how God's going to act. This is how God's going to break in. You know why we talk like that? Because it's safe and we can control it and contain it. Guess what God doesn't do? Safe, controlled, and contained. That's not how he is. 
And so what happens when we think like that is we can leave the impression on other people that God is predictable. They think that God's predictable, but this is absolutely crucial. God is faithful, right? We see that over and over and over again here. All throughout scriptures, God is faithful, but God is not predictable. There's no good thing that will come into our lives like we expect it to. God's ways are not our ways. And I think if we wanna become the people that God's calling us to be, then we need to immerse ourselves with the mystery of who God is and what God is like that's beyond us. I don't know how you embrace that other than you go, I'm open to a movement of the Holy Spirit in my life, in the life of my community and beyond. Because this is what Peter has done. He has stepped across the barrier of what he expected God to do and he's now in the realm of the unknown. He's in the realm of the mysterious ways of the Holy Spirit. And all he can do is just open himself up to what the Spirit of God wants to do now that he's crossed that barrier. And here's what happens as he's preaching. He's giving this message. And it ends in verse 43 as we have it. But here's why it ends, verse 44. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. Just imagine yourself in that room with Peter and the six brothers from Joppa and Cornelius and all of his friends and relatives as Peter is among them and he's preaching the good news of Jesus. And as he's saying those things, he's in the middle of the sermon the Holy Spirit falls on every single one who was listening to the message. That's crazy because the Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. They never would have guessed it. If you had told them that's what was gonna happen when they showed up in Cornelius' house, they would have told you no way was that gonna happen. And the reason that they knew that the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles is because they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. And I'd imagine that at that moment when the Holy Spirit interrupted Peter's sermon and they began to speak in tongues and praise God, that it just kept going on. They just kept praising God. The 30-some people in this room couldn't help but praise God. They had had no idea what to expect and then the spirit interrupts everything they're doing and they can't help but praise God. And then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? What do you, what do you think of one of the brothers was like, um, no, it's a rhetorical question because all of them were in a place in which they could not deny that God had broken into a space in which they had not anticipated God to be present in. Of course they're gonna be baptized into the family of God now. It's obvious that God is here with us. So what did he do? He gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. What a story. What is it that Peter 
had to do to like fall off the edge of, of his paradigm cliff, so to speak, and cross that barrier and to step into that place to, to risk in such a way to trust God, to be open to a movement of the Holy Spirit. And what I love about that is as he said yes unknowingly to what he was saying yes to all along the way, what happens in the end is a miracle for someone else. It's a miracle for the sake of other people. The transformation happens in others' lives and he gets to bear witness to that. What is it that we need to, to fall off the cliff and risk for the sake of other people so that we could see that? I love that Peter just goes almost blindly in the way in which the Holy Spirit leads him. Because I think this is the thing that God is prone to surprising us to any degree necessary. He wants to surprise us, but we're so intent on holding it too close on trying to, to say God's gonna do this, this way, to predict what's gonna happen. That's why the question is, will you open yourself up to a movement of the Holy Spirit, to being surprised in any way necessary, in ways in which God might break into your life and around your life in which you go, oh my gosh, I cannot deny that that is the work of God. I think that's the thing we all long for. We want to experience it. So I ask you again, are you open to a movement of the Holy Spirit in your life? A movement in the life of our church, a movement in our valley and beyond. Are you open to that? I don't think we know what we're saying yes to when we say yes. But we pray, come Holy Spirit and do that. So I wanna give you a moment just to sit with the Lord. Let him have the last word in all of this. Maybe you can pray to be open. Maybe you can pray for him to break in. Maybe you can pray for him to sort out all the questions you have now. Maybe you can pray that he would help you relinquish your grip on trying to contain what it is he wants to do to predict it. But sit with him, let him come and speak to you now and then I'll lead us into communion in a moment. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, here we are gathered together today, humbly inviting you to meet us. Would you grant us courage to be open to a movement of your Holy Spirit in our lives, in the life of our church, in our community, and beyond? Fill us. Holy Spirit, come freshly on us so that like your early followers, we might be filled in such a way so that we can go out in power with your message of love, witnesses to what it is you've done through the life, death, and resurrection of your son Jesus and what it is you're doing now and what it is you still hope to do. Help us to remember that you are with us. That you are for us. That you did not give us a spirit of fear, but you gave us a spirit of love, of power, and of a sound mind. So God, would you grant us eyes to see the world as you see it? 
And as we go out, as a Holy Spirit-filled movement of misfits, would you unite us across barriers, maybe ones that we've built up or that the world's built up? Would you help us lock arms and come near and be united as one to make much of you, God? To make much of you. We love you so much. We thank you for loving us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.